You take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 7 and just take a glance at Nehemiah chapter 7 in case you haven't done that recently. I'll say a word about that in a second, but for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are doing a, not a verse by verse, but a chapter by chapter study through Ezra and then Esther and then Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 7, and some of you may be looking at all of the list of names and thinking to yourself, why in the world is this even in the Bible? let alone are we going to go through the entire chapter and read all of these names, I wouldn't even try because I'll get them wrong. But we are going through the chapter. Let me share with you the place that this chapter plays in the entire book of Nehemiah. For the last six chapters, we have been talking about and looking at Nehemiah rebuilding the wall and the gates, and that took us back through Easter and all the rest of that. It was an exciting study, Nehemiah being opposed at every turn, and in 52 days, he succeeds in rebuilding the wall. The wall is finished. In chapters 8 through 13, the focus is going to shift. We're going to be looking at the restoration of the people of God who live in Jerusalem. And so we come to chapter 7, and chapter 7 is really a pivot chapter. I think it's a good time, I would say that Nehemiah is thinking this, for us to stop. The, the, the walls have been rebuilt. The, the, the gates are there. The doors have been hung And so he's going to stop and he's going to speak to the children of Israel about priorities. And it's a good time for us as followers of Jesus Christ to think about our priorities as well. As you know, we, Jan and I, spent a few days away. Usually we go west on our vacations. This time we went east. And we started out in Gatlinburg, and the only reason really that we started out in Gatlinburg, you say, what's in Gatlinburg? Well, until you've been there, you have no idea because it's just south of Pigeon Forge. And you'd say, what's in Pigeon Forge? Well, Dollywood is in Pigeon Forge and all kinds of attractions. But the only reason really we went there is because we got a good deal on a place to stay so that we could make a timeshare presentation. <laughs> Anybody ever been to a timeshare? Okay, they no longer use yellow pads. It's computerized. But one of the things, and we got to know, you know, whenever we go on trips like this, we always pray for divine appointments. And so the, the, the lady that was walking us through this timeshare presentation uh, was a believer, and we had a chance to just speak some words of encouragement and all the rest of that. But as a part of the presentation, they always ask you, what are the things that are important to you? And there were a number of squares on her little iPad. And so we pushed the square that said faith. That's most important. And then we pushed the square that said family. And then we pushed the square that said friends. 
it, we were only supposed to give three, and she, she stopped and she said, you, I, I thought she was kidding at first. She said, you don't understand how unusual you guys are. We said, why? She said, because most people always punch as their number one priority, money. And then fill in the blanks after that. I was shocked, but maybe I shouldn't have been. I know that she deals with probably most people who are not believers, but I had to step back and then ask myself, knowing that I was coming back to, to share with you, and, and particularly in light of some of the things that have happened this week, what are your priorities as a follower of Christ? I'm asking this not just for those of, of us who are older, but those that are younger, those that are very young. It's not too soon to start thinking about your priorities today and tomorrow and the next day because we do not know when our last day this side of heaven is going to be. Now, as we talk about these priorities, I want you to get a feel for this. We're not talking about what you got to do to be saved, okay? Um, for, for those of you, again, who are visiting with us, we want to make sure that when we're talking about the doing of the Christian life, it is always because it's based on the done of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord, okay? We do nothing to earn in any way our salvation, but once you and I have become followers of Jesus Christ, there is a lot to do, and that's why the Apostle Paul wisely reminded us in Philippians chapter 2 to work out the implications of our salvation. That means looking at our priorities every day. We do that with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work within us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As I was studying for this sermon, the words came back to me and I thought, now who said that? And I looked it up. It was C.T. Studd, the, 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 the missionary who said these words. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As I shared at the very beginning, on Wednesday we're traveling home and I start getting the, the group text, the, the inner staff communication that Kirk Dittmer passed away suddenly, shockingly. And that began it. And then Thursday morning, wake up and there's a, a, another text from Rocky saying that he'd heard from Mike McGee that Sam Carui had died. Kirk was 50. Sam was 56. And I put down on my notes and then I went back and I corrected him. In light of the unexpected deaths of two of our members last week, Shocked, but never surprised. Unexpected only in the fact that there's not a person in this room who doesn't believe that he or she is going to live for another year. And that's why when these things hit, 
and other things that are all around us. This last week has been blow after blow that shows the, the absolute depravity in a focused way. We talk about mass shootings and we're not even touching the, 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 the depth of what's happening in our cities with murders and, and all of the rest of the depravity that is around us. The family, I'm sure that most of you have heard of this, and we first heard of it through some dear friends. We had met the grandparents of the, the, the three of the, the boys, along with the cousin and the other grandfather, killed by an escaped convict this last weekend in Texas. And I'd already started preparing for this. This message on priorities. And, and I don't know. I was just standing there thinking a minute ago as we were finishing the, 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 the music and I came back with a cold. You can probably tell. I asked several of you to pray that I can get through the, the message without a coughing fit. And I was just thinking, you know, am I going to make it through the, the sermon, Lord? I mean, am I going to make it through the sermon? Don't want to be melodramatic, but and that caused me to think, is my life counting for eternity? I, I had a lot of those thoughts this last week. Am I making my life in whatever way count for God? How am I, and, and see, by the way, I'm asking these questions, but what I'm, I'm praying and I've prayed is that you are asking these questions for yourselves. How am I today and then how will I tomorrow work out my salvation with fear and trembling? And so I'm not going to probably get through all of this. The, the thoughts are just too many. But we're going to walk through and look at Nehemiah chapter 7 and uh, look at several of these priorities that Nehemiah gave to the Israelites as they lived in Jerusalem. And I hope that we will listen and apply these as well. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this, the priority of godly worship. That's easy, right? We just took care of that. Well, worship is a whole lot more than just the singing that we do. It's the entire morning that we are here, and it's the entire life that we live. But I find this absolutely striking that here in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1, I'll read this for you, and uh, uh, I, I want you to look at the first thing. What is the first thing that Nehemiah does once the gates are, are set, the hinges are on, and all the rest of that? He says, now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, watch this, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. What's the first thing he does? He appoints the leaders of worship. I, I want you to think about this. It, and, and maybe I haven't mentioned it as often as I needed to. But why did Jerusalem exist in the first place? For worship. If we go all the way back, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. 
and, and, and as Israel was, was coming out of Egypt and, and God was beginning to instruct them about the, the land into which they would be going, he told them to do this. They didn't have an idea of, of what Nehemiah would be talking about in chapter 7, verse 1. You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. He's talking about Jerusalem. And there you shall offer your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. You see, the walls were, were not just for protection. The walls were for praise. This last week has been a reminder again. Christian, you and I, I think this is right, you and I live for heaven, don't we? So, what do you think heaven is going to be like? And I want you to draw a contrast. Uh, Gary Larson, in case you don't recognize that name, he is a, a cartoonist. Retired several years ago, much to my chagrin, because I love his cartoons, The Far Side. And uh, he was just able to capture thoughts, bizarre thoughts sometimes, that, that you and I, are, we might be thinking. And so here, here's this guy. It's a picture of heaven. It's really not. But it's a picture of some clouds. And, and here is this guy who's sitting on the clouds, and he's just sitting there like this. He's got his angel wings, but he's, just a, he's not an angel. He's just a guy that went to heaven. And he's sitting there, and the caption bubble says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. And the thought that a lot of people have, I, I'm afraid that a, the thought that a lot of Christians have is that somehow heaven is going to be boring. And it is not. Revelation 5, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. That kind of captures it all, doesn't it? And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might and forever and ever. And we read those words and we somehow get this idea that there's not a lot of noise that's happening. But if every creature in the cosmos is saying this at the same time, that's incredible because the lamb that they are worshiping is incredible. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped. I can tell you this, I haven't been there. I look forward to going. The older I get, the more I look forward to it.
if you ask Kirk, if you ask Sammy, they would be saying, guys, heaven is anything but boring. And if you want your life to count, we will extrapolate from that and what we do on Sunday mornings and what you do tomorrow morning and whatever you have your quiet time and all of the rest of that, I'm talking about first a personal kind of worship. You will be worshiping the Lord and then in corporate worship as well. Our church can do a lot of good things. Our church can be involved in a lot of worthwhile activities. And there are all kinds of things that are coming at us saying, you need to be focused on this. You need to be focused on that. But there is only one activity that is paramount and that is eternal. And it's worship. I've alluded to this. It starts with a daily time in the Word and in prayer. Folks, I simply cannot say this enough. And I'll come back to it in, in some of the reasons why this is so vitally important and why we need to have a vigilance about our own time. But it's also vital for our corporate time together. With, with the things that, that have happened and that are happening, and folks, they're going to continue to happen. I, 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 hate, I hate to say that in a way, but, but since the creation, and when God created everything good, and then Adam comes in, and with his sin, with his rebellion, he brings this death and sin and corruption that we've seen the aftermath of until the Lord Jesus will come back and correct it all. And, and it's going to be around there. And man can create laws. I, I guess if we go back to the first murder, tragedy, Cain slaying his brother. And if they had had a government at that time, maybe the government would have said, we, and it doesn't say what, what, what Cain used to kill him with. Was it a rock? Or a tree branch? I don't know, but, but limitations on the, on the size of the rock or, or whatever. See, the intent of the heart, that's the problem. And it's what Jesus came to begin to fix. And, and the question that I, that I ask about worship is how in the world do you worship? That family, again, we, we know very well some of our best friends know the grandparents of, uh, of three of those young men who were, who were killed, just gunned down. The article in the paper, the, the pastor w- was speaking and said, this family has a firm faith. Do you realize that the pastor of their church had just baptized the 11-year-old several days before And he said, and I thought, oh, somebody has taught them well. 
He said, the family, while grieving, they believe that God is good, even though they do not understand his plan. How do you worship? How do you worship God when horrific things happen? Ask Job. You remember our study through Job. You couldn't get much worse than Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, a sign of grief, abject grief. But then he fell on the ground and he worshiped. This is precisely why we worship. I don't care which route you go, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, an agnostic, I don't believe there is anything such a thing as a pure atheist, but no matter what you are, you're going to have problems no matter which way you take it. There are no easy answers. Job had no earthly idea, literally earthly idea, of what was going on behind the scenes. But he just trusted that God was good. And that some, someday there would be at least some understanding of what God was about. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you, you don't need to raise your hands, but would you rather go to a church service that is more like a wedding or like a funeral? There could be some who say, well, I'd like to do this. Let me phrase the question differently. What is better for you? To go to a church service that is more like a wedding or like a funeral? Well, maybe elements of both, okay? That's fair. But Ecclesiastes 7, 2 reminds us of a truth that we we need to have at least some understanding of why we do what we do when we come together on Sunday mornings. And at least at some point, woven throughout our worship is going to be the subject of death, even if it doesn't come up in the actual Scripture passage. We can't have the Lord's Supper without talking about death. We can't do a baptism without talking about death and burial and resurrection. So the writer, Ecclesiastes, said it is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this, death, is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And I know intellectually we know that, but it's good to come into a place where we are reminded that each person in this room has an appointment with death. It may come when you're 50 or 56 or 72 or 16, we don't know. But after that, what does the Bible say? After that comes the judgment. That's why a part of our service is always pointing to the cross because we want people not to face the judgment alone, but to face the judgment knowing that their judgment has already been taken upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have believed in him. We may not want to talk about or think about death, but remember this. 
you can't have resurrection if you don't have death. This last Saturday, Mitch, celebrating the homegoing of your dad, we were sitting in the service and listening as Jim Jackson and others shared and uh, thinking about his life and thinking about the reality of what made his life truly worthwhile and there's only one ultimate reality because he had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, and that's one of the reasons I, I had this thought this morning. I hope this is a fair thought that I, I do not want our services to be, I'm going to use a word, to be analgesic. Did you catch that? Not cheesy. Analgesic. I want our services to be surgical. If our services, and we, we could make them like that. I'm not going to launch into a comparison of others. That's futile. But if a service becomes that which is only a distraction to reality, then all it is is analgesic. It kind of takes the pain away for a little while, but then sends you back out into reality with very little. And as we prepare our services, Jonathan and I and Jim and all the rest who have a part in these services, we want them to be surgical so that the Word of God empowered by the Spirit of God, is coming to bear on your life. And you're, I don't want you just walking out of the service saying, oh, wasn't that a good sermon? What we want is for you to walk out of the service saying, isn't he a great God? I'm going to ask another question about kind of similar to, would you rather be at a wedding or a funeral? Would you... And I really don't want you to answer this. Would you rather be right now at uh, Top Gun Maverick or in this service right now? On our vacation, we went to see Top Gun Maverick. And for whatever it was, a couple of hours... I had no thoughts of the outside world. I was in an F-18 <laughs> pulling 10 G's going Mach 1.8. That's how fast an F-18A Hornet will, will go, Super Hornet. I was on the beach playing beach volleyball. Well, you haven't seen the movie. No, you don't want to see me on the beach shirtless. That's analgesic. It's not bad. It's just mindless distraction. But when you walk out of the theater, 
you've got to hit whatever reality is in your own life. And I can just look around and tell you that there are realities that you're going through right now that you, you need something surgical. You need the Word of God to come along just like it promises to do. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts, and then after it cuts, it heals. It brings those things into your life that you truly need. How do you prepare for life's challenges? You put yourself under the Word of God every day, and then every week you come into a congregation of Bible believers, imperfect as we may be, And as tough as it may be, we live in the shadow of mortality. We live in the shadow of eternity. That's the first priority, worship. I I could have spent the entire message on that. Let's move on to the second priority, the priority of godly leadership. Verse 2, I gave my brother Hanani... And Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem for he, now this is Hananiah, uh, but it it refers to both of them, was two things here, a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Now, I have no doubt that these two men were skilled, gifted, gifted. Maybe even like Saul was described, maybe they were attractive. But it's interesting that Nehemiah doesn't mention any of those things. Now, now hang on, because here is the great application of that. God may be looking for a skill set. He can use any skill set or gifts or whatever. But the first thing he's looking for, and by the way, there is no age restriction on this. He's looking for two things. He's looking for faithfulness, being trustworthy. You know, as I was studying about this, you might think I I, I was thinking about our leaders in church and, and fathers and all that. I was thinking about all that. But you know who I really had zeroed in my mind as I was thinking about this, our students going to Arlington. And, and, and these, these kids that you're going to be working with looking to you, and you have, you have no idea how many times they are looking to you. And maybe, maybe one of those little guys or little girls is looking at you, and they're seeing that you are a faithful young man or a faithful young lady. And they may not tell you this, but deep down inside, I know I did this when I was a kid. They may be looking to you and say, I I would like to be like that guy. I would like to be like that young lady that is showing the ability to be trustworthy and reliable, a person of integrity, a person of purity. And, and, And Paul said it like this, we are stewards of the manifold grace of God's. God, and you know what it's required of us? That we be found faithful. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I don't, I don't pretend to be the best. I, I don't even want to be. I, pride might get the best of me. But Lord, keep me faithful in what I do for you. But there was another thing, and I love this, the fear of God. 
doesn't mean cowering in his presence, although there is an element of that reverential fear, that awe, that worship of God. And this is where it really comes home to the fact that there is no age limit. Children, children, look at me as the ones of you who are not too distracted. Look at, the, look at these things, look at, these, look at the, the scriptures on the, on the overhead, okay? Don't think, and the enemy may want you to think, I have to, I have to be 10 or I have to be 12 or I have to be 14 or whatever. No, there is no age limit on this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I'm hoping that, that if you're a, a child, I'm hoping if you're an old guy like me, that you're looking at that and saying, that's what, that's what I need. I need the fear of God if I'm going to have the wisdom to navigate the world around me. I don't want to be like the second phrase, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools, in other words, they don't have the fear of God. There is no fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you're using the, uh, our, our one year through the Bible reading, just in the last week or so, you read about Solomon, didn't you? Wow, great start, bad finish. What happened? Here was a guy that asked the Lord for a hearing heart. God said, man, as long as you keep that, as long as you're seeking to hear me and walk in my way and not deviate, I'm going to establish your throne. That's what he told Solomon. Solomon became the wisest and the richest king on the face of the earth. And then he blew it. It didn't help. I don't know if it was bragging about it or what. But he had 700 foreign wives. 300 concubines. And they drew his heart away from the Lord. Ended up being an idolater. And the Lord said, I, I'm, I'm sad because now the kingdom is going to, going to be ripped away from you. And I contrast that with another young ruler. This is why I say there are no age restrictions. You know the story of Josiah? Josiah is a great story. Do you know how old he was when he became king? Eight years old. And it says he did not depart to the right or to the left. He walked with God. He destroyed the ashram. He destroyed the idols of the, of the nations around him. And I tell you, we need godly leaders in our churches, in our church. We need godly leaders in our homes who will be faithful, trustworthy, reliable, men of integrity. And in case you're a single mom, women of integrity, women of purity as well as men, and those who fear God. 
and we need those kinds of leaders. I've said it several times now among our students who go to Mission Arlington and do the number of things that they do and among all of, of our people, no matter what age. That's why I love the quote by Vody Bacham in your worship guide. The church does not meet as often as the home. Thus, if Christ is to be worshipped daily, it is incumbent on the home to play an important spiritual role. Consequently, fathers, as heads of households, are thrust into a pastoral role. And I said it a minute ago, if there is no father, then it falls upon the mom. The priority of godly leadership. Let's look at a third thing, the priority of constant vigilance. Wow, this is so important. Now, you may not get all of this, but look what he did. Israel's, Jerusalem's enemies were still around, and he was trying to pull in the boundaries to keep them out. He was being vigilant. Verse 3, and I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Normally the gates were open really early, maybe before people started stirring, enemies could sneak in. Gates would be open late. Nehemiah didn't want that just wide open, just let whatever, just let whatever enemy wants to come in, let him come in. He said, no, you wait until the sun is up, till he gets hot, and people are up, and people are vigilant. People are on guard, not only at the gates, but also in their own home. And if you please... I beg of you, hear me. If you want your life to count for God. Now remember the done, you're a believer, you're going to heaven. But if you want your life to count for God, you, you must be vigilant. You never outgrow the need for it. Even when you're on vacation, maybe especially when you're on vacation, there is a need for vigilance. Nehemiah knew that the enemies were all around and they would use every opportunity that they could to come in and to destroy. And that's why, let me just give you a couple of, of bullets to, to, to help you understand this so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Grandfathers, dads, young men, young women, moms, grandmother, everybody, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We, uh, 
Let me, let me just give you one more, and this, this is a shepherding verse. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. The, the, obviously, this is for us, for elders, to know well the condition of our flock as much as we can, but this is for you. As a dad, I mentioned the, the family circle, the grandfathers, the grandmothers, or as much as you possibly can. And I know, I know there are all kinds of relationships and, and, and things like that out there. But pay attention to yourselves first and then to your flock. God has made you the shepherd of, of that flock to care for them, the church of God or your own family, which he has obtained with his own blood. Man, Southern Baptist Convention is coming up. And there are just there there are just a lot of things going on. And um, th- there will be some discussions uh, in the future about all of that. But I I thought, do I well it's it's out there, it's public. The report, have, have any of you heard about some of the things that are happening with the, the report that's going to be presenting, presented, uh, an independent, supposedly, and I, I know that there are all kinds of sides and, and those ki- kinds of things, but this is a very, very serious thing about abuse among some. Now, please don't condemn the whole because, or, or be specific because of some bad apples. Uh, you know, don't be prideful like the publican and the Pharisee, and we're glad we're not like those Southern Baptists. Uh, you, you know, it, what I see in this is a matter of vigilance. Priority, some guys forgot to be vigilant somehow. And one of the most shocking was, and, and some of you have been, I think, to Branson and have heard Johnny Hunt. Incredibly popular pastor. He's very gifted. He's very skilled. And there was an accusation made against him from 2010. Uh, he denied it, and then he came out and said it was consensual. But it didn't go down as, well, anyway, I, I thought to myself, okay, let's not get into the condemning and pointing fingers there, but by the grace of God, could go any of us. But here is the thing, is, is you can read the actual accusation and all the rest of that. That happened in 2010. It's coming out. What is, what is this year? 2022? Where, where was the vigilance? Again, I don't care how old you are, men, women. Keep watch over your heart. Be vigilant. If you're not the enemy, we'll use whatever attraction or whatever. And there are a lot. Goals, girls, girls in glory, you know, that, that's, those are the big three. And I, I was asking some other questions. 
Where was that husband in 2010 if he really believed his wife? I'm not saying he should have gone and beat up Johnny Hunt, but at least to have a discussion. They shared it with several prominent people. Where where were those people in terms of accountability and helping? Because these are people that represent to outsiders or particular group of people. To to just come and say, okay, we want to be vigilant about this. Let's work through this. Let's bring church discipline to bear. I, I, um, we did several things that were really inspiring this last week. Uh, Billy Graham's library was closed. We couldn't go to see that, but we went to the cove and uh, saw a history of of Billy Graham and the training center. I'm tempted. Vody Bauckham's going to be there in June teaching fault lines, and I thought, ooh, that might be a good trip to take out to the, the cove. But Billy Graham had a rule, and it has been... It has been criticized by women many times who are egalitarian, who believe in pure equality. He had a rule that he would never be alone without someone else, another man or a woman or his wife, with a woman. A simple rule, the Billy Graham rule, a simple rule like that to be vigilant would have gone a long way a while back. Got a call from a friend. The shifts gears a little bit, but it's also under the subject of being vigilant and um, sharing about a, a couple that we know. And they're in that age range where they've got kids and they're in that particular season of life, 40-somethings where the, the daily routine of life begins to chip away and they are not doing well. In fact, in in an exchange that uh, we were told about, the husband blurted out, well, we'll be divorced in a year. And I asked this friend, I said, now you you know them, you've been with them and and have heard them say those things, could I ask you, are either of them having a consistent quiet time? A time where the the word on a daily basis and prayer, submitting yourself, letting the surgery of, of the word with the spirit happen on your own life and then coming together corporate, oh, they're involved in corporate worship, but They have not been vigilant over their own hearts. And I started thinking, you know, if you knew, if if you made that prediction, if you said in another year we're going to be divorced, let's put it like this. If one of your children came and said a year from now we're going to commit suicide, 
what would you do? You would be vigilant. You would do everything you could. You would get out of your comfort zone to come alongside and to help that person in whatever way you could. John Owen, great Puritan writer, used this verse and he basically coined the phrase out of this verse, either you will constantly be killing sin or it will be killing you. And, and, and if you're, I, I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't have any reason to believe that there is a couple in this congregation this morning who would mimic what that couple is going through. I don't know. But if you were, then look at what God's Word says. We are debtors. We're, we're under obligation. So I, that's the first thing I would say to you is you're not obligated to the flesh. You're obligated to God if you're a follower of Christ. In other words, it doesn't really matter how you feel if you're obligated to Christ and not to live according to the flesh. Then by the Spirit every day as you read His Word, as you, as you apply His Word, as you deal with your spouse or whatever situation it might be, then you're going to be putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, if you don't do that, what's the consequence? It's, it's right there. Death. But if you do that faithfully, again, there are no age restrictions on this. If you do that faithfully, then you will live. But there has to be something that happens before you can even get there. And here's the last thing that we're going to talk about today, the priority of people. And I'm not going to read verses 4 through 69. Here, here are some things that I noticed. Uh, this probably is for another sermon. He lists names. He lists families. People are important to God. They should be important to us. That's not the primary application that I'm going to make. He also lists those names by the men God has an order that is biblical. We don't have time for that right now. But the thing that I want you to see out of all of this is that each one of those people meant something to God. He knew them by name. John 10, to him the gate Keeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Could I ask you today, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Are you following him? Later on, John says, my sheep hear my voice. Here's what's more important. I just ask you, do you know him? 
But really the most important question is, does he know you? I know them, he said. They hear my voice. I know them and and they follow me. Present tense, they are following me and I give to them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Does he know you? Mentioned at the very beginning that it is appointed once for a man to die. That's an appointment all of us will keep. After that comes the judgment. And you will stand before God. And he will look at you and he will say, you're one of my sheep. You heard my voice. You responded to my call. You believed in my son. You turned away from sin. You're my follower. Enter in. Or he will say to those, the majority not in this congregation, but he will say to many, many people on that day, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. That's the crux of setting priorities. Do you know him? And I pray that if you do not, today would be the day of salvation. Father, I thank you that you make clear your priorities in your word. Father, I thank you that uh, the priorities that we set oftentimes are our own. We need to get a word from you, get alone with you and look into your book and determine what priorities that you would have for us. Lord, we we believe that we've seen some of those in Nehemiah chapter 7. And I pray that the first thing that is needful, that is if there is anyone here who does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would hear clearly your call to turn away from sin and to believe in Jesus as the only Savior, the only way to the Father. They would know you. And then then to begin daily to set those priorities of making you the first in their life, the last in their life, and everything in between. So Lord, help us now as we respond. We pray that as we go from this place, that this service has not been analgesic, but that it has been truly surgical and has gotten to the root of whatever need there is in every person in this room today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.